Find in your Bible with me Hebrews chapter 12 as we conclude our message series in the roll call of faith, Hebrews chapter 12. While you are turning there, I want to mention to you, uh, at the end of the hour, I have an announcement that I need to make after we wrap up everything, the response time and everything. So if you're in-house, uh, please stay put. If you're at home, don't blink off or, or disconnect. I uh, got an announcement for us at the end of the hour. And by the way, uh, while I'm talking about that, a little off the subject, but I know sometimes we are given uh, at the end of a worship service and Pastor Bob starts inviting people to respond and we're thinking in our minds, okay, everything's wrapping up and it's time to go. We tend to mentally and emotionally disconnect just a little bit and maybe at home you do it literally. Maybe that's the point you click and off you go. Actually, that's the most important time and it's the time for you to pray. It's the time for you to pray. You have worshiped and now trust God to change lives. First of all, listen to him. He may be speaking to you. Maybe there's something that you need to change in your life, something he wants to do in your life, and you need to respond here or at home. And if not, if you, you say, well, God isn't moving me to respond or pray at the altar, God is moving you to pray for others. Pray for that person beside you. Pray for that person God brings to mind during that response time. Pray for that relationship that needs to be healed. Pray for what comes next in this afternoon and, and the next day and the next. But don't just disconnect mentally, emotionally, or literally. Believe God for doing something in that response time and using you to make it happen. Back to the book of Hebrews. This morning we wrap up our message series, A Legacy of Heroes. We have walked through the roll call of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And we have been witness to a deep dive into the, some of the great heroes of the faith through the Old Testament. And throughout, we have been challenged and inspired uh, to leave a legacy of faith as well. Hebrews chapter 11 doesn't actually end uh, in, the, in, in the letter itself with what we know as the end of Hebrews chapter 11. It actually goes into what we have as Hebrews chapter 12. The first three verses of chapter 12 are the end of the discussion, the end of the roll call of faith, the reason that he gave this to us in the first place. So we're going to wade just a bit into Hebrews chapter 12 as we close out this series on the legacy of faith. And this morning, above all else, our challenge is to understand now it's our turn. It's our turn to step into that legacy of faith. It's our turn to step up in commitment and endurance to live for Christ and to leave a legacy of faith. That's what God wants us to do. In Hebrews chapter 12, we open with an image of the race. It was a popular image, a popular metaphor and picture for teaching in the ancient world, and it's throughout the Bible used as a metaphor of endurance for the Christian life. And we learn once again that the Christian life is not about the dash. It's not a sprint. The Christian life is about the distance. The Christian life is about endurance. It's recognizing the evidence of God, the evidence of his goodness, the work of God in all that we're doing and all that we're going through and always trusting him for what we cannot see. It's about endurance in this race that we run on behalf of Christ. That's what makes heroes of the faith. Another way to put it is, it's about finishing well. See, right now you might be discouraged in your faith, disheartened in your faith, struggling in your faith, praying that same prayer you've been praying for a long time, wondering what God is doing. 
why God is not answering that, why God is not doing this. Maybe right now you feel like if you're leaving any kind of legacy behind you, it's not a legacy of faith, it's a legacy of doubt and struggle. But wherever God finds you this morning, you need to know that you can finish well. You can finish well. You can endure, you can persevere, you can see God work if you'll trust him for what you cannot see in the days ahead. That's the message of Hebrews chapter 12 in these first three verses. Look there with me, Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 1. The writer closes out his discussion and his, his roll call of faith with this, Therefore, now let's pause there just a minute, that is, this is the reason, therefore, this is the reason I just talked about all those people in that roll call of faith. Therefore, since we also have a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. When I was going into my senior year of high school at Reynolds High School in Winston-Salem, I decided to do something different. I decided I wanted to go out for the track team. Now I know it is very believable that I could do that when you see this magnificent specimen before you. When I was 17, I was fast. Not so much now, but then I was fast. So I went out for the track team. The coach of the track team was Coach Trascoma, and he also happened to be uh, my homeroom teacher. So I told him one day, hey, I'm going to come out for the track team. And he said, what? <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, I'll come out for the track team. I said, he said, okay, anybody can show up and try out. So I went to the tryouts. Uh, I learned, first of all, I'm not a herdor. My body was not designed to hurdle. But in those days, I could run. And in the dash, I, I was pretty fast. And by the, the end of the tryouts and the end of the first week, he was pairing me with much faster guys to pick up my momentum and, and to get me moving on. So the first week went into the second week, and then it became practice, and practice became another week of practice. And then we were moving up on our first track meet. And it was time for me... Uh, to go and get ready to find out the heats I would run in and, and what. And I'll never forget, uh, now Reynolds High School is in, is in basically a suburb of downtown Winston-Salem, has two really large buildings, and the uh, track and, and, and rec field is on the uh, far side uh, of those buildings. And so I would drive around there other, every day when school was out, and I would, I would pull in and park. On this particular day, it was raining. And I, I drove around, and I parked, and I sat in my car in the rain with, with the water pattering on the windshield, and I thought to myself, I don't want to run in the rain. It just kind of hit me. Now, I, I'm pretty much a fair-weather track star. I, I, I just sat there, and I thought to myself, I don't want to do this. And I drove off. I know. I know. You're di not my banner moment. Not my banner moment. Next morning, I went in to uh, Coach Traz's office, and I said, sir, I, I didn't. He said, I missed you yesterday. I said, I know. I said, that was intentional. I told him. I said, I'm going to go ahead and drop out. It's really just not for me. And in honesty, I said, my heart's not in it. 
My heart's not in it. If I'm not willing to run in the rain, if I'm not willing to endure just a little bit of discomfort and a little bit of weather, my heart's not in it. And to be honest, I didn't think about it this way, but the, but the truth is I really didn't deserve to be out on the track, did I? And, and I was letting other people down. I didn't even take account for that. But if I'm a fair-weather, short-distance runner, I probably shouldn't be out on the track at practice anyway. Not worthy of the team. Sometimes in the Christian life we forget it's not a dash, it's an endurance race. It's about the distance. And when we get down on ourselves, when we get apathetic, when we get discouraged, and when we sin, it can hinder the race, it can hinder the run. And sometimes we say, you know, my heart's just not in this. I I don't think I want to work this hard. I don't think I want to suffer this much. I I think if God's not going to answer my prayers the way I want God to answer my prayers, I might just step back just a bit. Getting up and going to church, let somebody else do that. Serving Christ, going on mission trip, or just daily reading scripture, yeah, that, my, my heart's not in it. See, apathy is a, an indication that you need to take a hard look at your Christian life. Discouragement's an indication. Take a look at your Christian life because it's, it, it's not about the sprint, the dash. It's about the distance. And the good news about that is if you find yourself in that place right now where you're just about ready to drive off and say, my heart's not in this, the good news is you can always start over with Christ. You can always start over today. You can start over today and say, it's my turn. It's my turn to leave a legacy of faith. Because if we learned anything in chapter 11, we learned perfection is not our pursuit. It's faithfulness to God. It's confessing our sins. It's being faithful to Him. And when we get bumped and bounced around and when we fail and falter and wax and wane, God is there to give us grace and strength for the next part of the journey. It's about the distance. Start over and say to Him today, it's my turn, God. I want to serve you. Let's put the past in the past and let's start over today. This morning I want us to consider in this passage four ways you can finish well. Let that be your prayer. God, I just want to finish well. Maybe my past hasn't been that great. Maybe my present's pretty weak in my faith. But God, I want to finish well. I want to endure to the end. I want to show up in glory and hear those words from Jesus. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So let's consider this. Four ways you can finish well. The writer says, first of all, consider the crowd. Consider the crowd. The first way is to consider the crowd. He put it this way. Therefore, there it is. This is why I said everything I did in chapter 11. Since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. The the phrase large cloud of witnesses was popular in the ancient world as an image of people watching your life. Spectators, in other words. But the biblical view is a little bit different, and the writer of the Hebrews puts a different twist on it because the word translated witnesses is not referring to spectators. The word translated witnesses refers to those who, have all, who testify. It's the same word we have in the Greek language for testimony or testify. In other words, those watching you are those who have already endured, those who have lived the life. And the writer says, never forget in this journey, never forget in this race, you are not alone. You are not alone. Consider those that came before you. They are cheering you on. They are encouraging you. 
You find them in God's Word in chapter 11. We saw a lot of them. They're all through God's Word. They've been in your life. Some of them are sitting right here in this church. You look around at seasoned saints who said, Yes, I will endure. And they look back on their lives and there are others who have influenced them in the journey. There are many along the way in that great cloud of witnesses that can testify to the faithfulness of God. Just like you will testify to the faithfulness of God when you endure through what you're going through. When you trust God for what you cannot see. When you promise and commit to God that I will finish well. Remember those that have gone before you. Throughout the book of Hebrews, that's a favorite theme. It even closes out the book. If we were to flip forward to the end of the book of Hebrews, we would find the writer saying, remember those leaders who went before you. Never forget that your path has been laid by those who persevered. They weren't perfect saints, but they were people that were faithful to God, and they found that he would be faithful to them, and they are cheering you on. They are cheering you on. They are witnesses. They have testimony to the greatness of God, which you will as well. You're familiar with the annual Iditarod race in Alaska, 1,100-mile race from Anchorage to Nome, Alaska, in some of the worst possible conditions. Dog mushers on sleds with their dogs undertake this race. It can take from 8 days to 20 days to finish the Iditarod race. But it has a unique quality about it that a lot of races don't have. For example, in 2003, Robert Sorley was the first to win. He was the first place of the Iditarod. He came in at 2 a.m. Now, in our mind's eye, we think, well, at 2 a.m., there's nobody out there standing in uh, below zero temperatures, the freezing, there's nobody out there but maybe one or two people to, to say, okay, he was first place. Get those dogs inside, take care of them. No, no, no. At the Iditarod, thousands show up and wait for the winner. 2,000 people were there. When Robert Sorley crossed that line, they cheered and they celebrated. And we would also think, well, Robert Sorley, after days, after days in bitter cold and harsh winds, would surely put up his team. He would surely take a break, go in somewhere where it's hot. That's not what they do. They put away their team, then they join the crowd. And they wait for that second place winner in 2003. Two hours later, the second place person crossed the line and Sorley was there with the rest of the crowd cheering and celebrating. Four hours later, the third place winner came in and the second place and the first place and 2,000 people were out there. The next day, the next one, on into day, day, hour, hour goes on and they all stay out there. Every person that's finished the race stays in the crowd to celebrate those. They cross the line and finish. Why? Because they know what it's like. They came before you. They ran the race. They know what it was like to endure and to make it. And they are there as witnesses. They have a testimony as well. So when you're feeling struggling, when you're, when you're feeling discouraged and, and disheartened, you're struggling with your faith, you're wondering if it, how you're going to carry on, you're wondering if you can trust God for what comes next, and what you cannot see, consider the crowd. Consider all those people in glory right now that went before you, all those in Scripture, all those from Brunswick County, all those from your hometown, wherever you're from, consider those. Consider those seated in here right now. 
Who can say, y'all, I know what it's like. I know what it's like. You be faithful to him, and he'll be faithful to you. Second, lighten your load. Lighten your load. Not only consider the crowd, but if you want to finish well, lighten your load. We read it this way. Let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. The Bible's talking about two different ways that your life can be hindered from running well and enduring the race and finishing well. Uh, the first is all that hinders us, the hindrances. Uh, in this case, the writer's talking about things that we add to us. You know, in races in the ancient world, uh, in our day and time, in the 21st century, runners wear spandex and they, they you know, do other things to make themselves faster. In the ancient world, uh, they just didn't wear to make themselves faster because anything they carried, anything they wore would hinder them and they knew that. I remember many years ago, I wish I could remember his name, I heard a talk by a gentleman who had hiked the whole Appalachian Trail. It was amazing. You know what, I, you know, I don't remember his name, but I remember this. I remember him saying, every single ounce of weight that's unnecessary or not essential is jettisoned. You carry nothing that you don't have to have until you arrive at the next station along the trail because all the weight you carry hinders your progress and makes you tired. That's what the writer's talking about here. What hinders, he means, is what you add to your life, what you put in your backpack. And a lot of Christians don't finish well or get distracted from progress in the Christian life, get, get distracted and, and weakened for the distance because they keep adding things to their lives. Uh, they're overworking for the world instead of serving the Lord. And, and is that talking about you? Does that sound familiar? You say yes to all these other things. And then what you find is your effectiveness, your endurance in the Christian life is weakened and diluted because you're distracted by so many other things that you've added to your life. That's what he's talking about. And then he says on, on the other side of it, the sins that in, uh, ensnare us, that so easily ensnare us. That whole phrase translates one word that doesn't show up anywhere else in the Greek New Testament. It more literally means encircles us. The sin that ensnares us, it means encircles us. Because we would think of it, maybe he's talking about a trap, that you're on the, you're on the path God wants you to walk, and you step into a trap, and that's, that's, that's sin that ensnares you. But that's not the image he gives. The image he gives is that you are encircled by sins that you tend to be oriented toward. Sins that haunt your life. Sins maybe you haven't confessed. You're encircled by those. They are the predator and you are the prey. And when you have that sin in your life, you get distracted from running the course. You're weighed down, ensnared, entangled by that sin. You can't run the race when you're trying to cultivate habits that you know God despises. The first one are the anchors from the outside you add to your life. The second one is the sin on the inside you're refusing to confess and jettison along the way. Both of those keep you from running well. Both of those keep you and me from finishing well. And here's the thing. Satan is fine with both of those. Do you know that? We know Satan tempts us to sin. 
He gets us distracted by what's on the fringes of life and, and we get distracted from the race and we want to go over there and we want to do that and we want to maybe just participate a little bit. What could it hurt in this sin or that sin or that habit? Satan knows that. But you know Satan is also fine with keeping Christians too busy to serve Christ. He's fine with you adding things to your life that take you away from worship, that take you away from serving Him, that cloud your vision and distract you from believing Him for things you cannot see in the future, the provision He has for you. So the writer reminds us, jettison, confess. Let God take stock of your life and you take stock of your life with God. And if He shows you what you need to confess and get out of your life, do it. If He shows you, if He tells you, don't add that, resign from that, step down from that, eliminate that, do it. So you can serve him faithfully. Lighten your load. If you want to finish well, take stock and lighten your load. Third, if you want to finish well, run your race. Run your race. Run with, run with endurance the race that lies before us, he says. This is a very specific phrase in the language of the New Testament. And it refers to every individual's race. Run your race. Now, let's be real honest, Christians. Jealousy is a problem in the Christian life. It is. Uh, we look at our neighbor, they seem to have it easy. We wonder why God's putting us through what God's putting us through. Uh, pastors, we're no exception. I just got back from the North Carolina Baptist State Convention. Just about every personality on the platform, pastor is a mega church. And it's so easy for pastors. You know one of the first things pastors ask each other when they meet? Yeah, what size church? God doesn't care. You know what I like to remind myself in those occasions? Here it is. God did not call Billy Graham, David Jeremiah, Mark Dever, great heroes, great preachers, all, but they, he did not call them to pastor First Baptist Church of Shalot, did he? He could have, but he didn't. And whether you like it or not, he called me. That's a good thing to remember, isn't it? Run your race. Put it in our day and time, stay in your lane. Stop looking at other people around you. Stop worrying about what's going on in their lives. Remember what Jesus told Peter on the shore after the resurrection when Peter was wondering what was going to happen to John. He said, why are you... Why are you worried about him? You need to think about you. You are the one that's responsible for you. It's your life is your stewardship. Run your race. Stay in your lane. Don't worry about what God's doing in other people's lives. Focus on what he wants you to do. Now that also means look ahead in the race. Your lane. God's provision for you, where you're going. Right now, you may be in the best time, best season of your life. You may be going through the biggest struggles of your life. God has you in that lane, running in that lane, in that race for a reason. Run your race. Because God wants to use you in other people's lives. God wants you specifically to influence other people for Christ, to leave a legacy of faith that's your legacy of faith. If you're worried about what God's doing in someone else's life, you're not focused on what he's doing through you to impact other people for Christ, right? Run your race. And then last, focus your faith. Focus your faith. This is, the, this is 
where the writer's been going the whole time. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Keeping our eyes on him, and some of your translations might read, fixing our eyes on Christ. Because he is the author, the perfecter, the pioneer of what it means to persevere. He is the one that endured the shame because on the other side of it, he knew the cross was coming and he knew on the other side of the cross was the resurrection. And on the other side of the resurrection, the heavenly father would glorify him. So he looked past the cross, past the shame to what God would do in his life and only his life. He is the perfecter of our faith then. He's the one we fix our eyes on. He's the example, the role model, the greatest of all to obey and went all the way to the cross. He endured all the suffering and shame. When you and I think we're enduring tough times, remember Christ. When you and I wonder how to get through what we're going through, focus on Christ. When you and I, when when we wonder if God's going to take care of us or what comes next or what God wants us to do, you know what the Bible says? Fixate on Christ. Watch what Christ is doing. Remember what Christ did. I'm going to, I'll be back in a second. Remember what Christ did and focus on him. You're following Christ. Right now in your lane running your race, You are following Christ. You are doing what he wants you to do and following him. That's what matters most. So when you're struggling, and if you're struggling, maybe you're discouraged, disheartened, distracted, take stock of these things. Remember that you choose to endure. You choose to trust Christ, to believe God for what you cannot see. And today, you can choose to say, God, it's my turn. Never mind the past or the worries I have right now. Right now it's my turn to commit myself to Christ, to following him, the author, the perfecter of my faith. Because he went to the cross, and if he went to the cross for me, I can certainly run this race for him and do what he wants me to do. In June of 2021, June of last year, Ozzie Fletcher received the Purple Heart. That doesn't sound too terribly unusual, except that Ozzie Fletcher was 99 years old last year when he received the Purple Heart. He received it for wounds received in combat on D-Day, 1944. See, back then, African-American soldiers were often overlooked for their heroism, for their participation, for the Purple Heart. And Ozzie Fletcher's story just sort of fell by the wayside, fell through the cracks. But his daughter was diligent. When she got older and she'd heard his story, she was diligent in in making sure the military knew about his story. And prior to 2021, a general in charge of who receives the Purple Heart tasked a group to research Ozzie's story and found out it was an extraordinary story. And, And for the rest of his life, he was 22 years old, In 1944, for the rest of his life, he bore wounds in combat that that changed his life. But when he was presented with the Purple Heart, and and it was given to him at at that ceremony, it was interesting, the officer in charge said, what struck me the most is that for all his life, Ozzie never complained 
He never sought the Purple Heart himself. It was his daughter that kept after us and told us to research this. No, he, was, he lived his life. He did what he did. And he said, and Ozzy is a good person, good to people. He's kind. He's compassionate. In fact, he's exactly the kind of person that we should reward for the way he's lived his life as well as the way he served his country. One day, someday, you and I are going to show up in front of our commander-in-chief. We're going to show up at the feet of Jesus. I want to be good to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You endured. You made it through. I want to be good to realize in that moment how gracious God really is. And how he used us in other people's lives. I want to be good at that moment to hear that celebration from those witnesses whose own testimony of running their race glorified God as they were faithful to him. Won't that be good? And isn't it good to know that if that hasn't been your story so far that you can start over today? You can You can ask God's forgiveness for the sin that entangles you. You can ask God's forgiveness for letting yourself be distracted from running your race. You can ask God to strengthen and bolster your faith if you're facing hard times, if you've been discouraged or disheartened. You can ask God to help you start over today. And by the grace of God, he will. And you will see evidence of God's goodness in your life as he does great works through you. Trust him for what you cannot see and serve him for the distance, not the dash, but for the distance. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to pray for us, and then we'll go into a time, an opportunity to respond to the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in this moment, God, you know our hearts, our minds. You know what we struggle with. You know what we're going through in life. You know those of us that are weak in our faith, we're discouraged, we're distracted, we're disheartened. You know those of us, God, who are hampered by the sin and hindrance in our lives, God, and we ask your forgiveness for that. You know who we are. You know what we're going through. You know what we brought into this worship service today. All these things you know, Father, but you never give up on us. So, Father, as your word says, we can start over today to never give up never let go to always run our race that you've assigned to us and called out for us. So God, I pray for each one here and at home, God, that in our hearts, Father, we would know your presence, your power, your cleansing. Father, I pray we would confess those sins, God, that hinder us, that entangle us, God, uh, that we would confess to you we've been distracted, that we would start over today with Christ. Father, it's our turn. And God, I pray we would embrace that today. And we too would be in that legacy of heroes of the faith for all that are around us and watching us. Father, maybe someone in this room or at home has never trusted Christ as their Savior. They're worn out and weary from being religious or from trying to be good on their own, God. They're worn out and weary for trying to prove themselves to you. But Father, we're reminded that it's your grace, God. We're saved by your grace. And God, I pray for those who need Christ as their Savior, that today, Father, they would be saved, putting all their faith and trust in Christ. And I pray this prayer with them today, Father, if there's just one in this room or at home that would be saved today. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know I can't save myself. And Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me, for my sins. 
and that you're alive today. Jesus, I ask you would forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins. Come into my heart, into my life, and give me a home in heaven today. And may I serve Christ faithfully from today on. And for that, I pray for all of us, Father. May we serve Christ faithfully from this point forward. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray.